the scripture readings that we have for today come from Luke's Gospel and chapter 23 and I begin at verse 13 of chapter 23. Pilate called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who is inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he has sent him back to us, as you can see. He has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I'll punish him and release him. With one voice they cried out, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Now Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I'll have him punished and then released. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. As they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country. They put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who, were, who mourned and wailed for him. And then down at verse 32, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the other criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they, cast, they divided up his clothes and cast lots for them. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the King of the Jews, save yourself. This was written notice above him which read, This is the King of the Jews. One of the criminals hung there, hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. This man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour for the sun had stopped shining. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. Good Friday. Seems to me it should be called Fantastic Friday. I mean, right now, millions of people Tens of millions of people around the world are focusing on the awesome goodness of God 
and his love for us. It's amazing. I find it hard actually to believe that uh, so many people treat it as just another day. Now, a long time ago, some of you are way too young to know this, there was a comic strip called Lil Abner, which I love to read. It was made into a musical comedy. And one of the songs went, it was a typical day in Dogpatch, USA, where typical folks do things in a typical way. That morning, around 2,000 years ago, started as a typical day for the many people gathered in and around Jerusalem for the Passover. Like most mornings, the dawning sun with its probing rays had awakened the city of David. People had begun to pour in through the gates. The city streets were fast becoming hives of activity. Shrill cries of playing children echoed down those streets. Merchants were about the, biz- the din of the bustling activity and getting attention crawling out about their wares. Sheep were bleating, dogs were barking, donkeys were braying, people jostling their way to and fro. It was typical folks doing things in a typical way on a typical day, unaware of the momentous event that had already begun. It was from the governor's palace that the procession had started. Down the narrow crowded streets it made its way typical of so many other crucifixion escorts, Roman soldiers forcing a path through the throng, struggling to keep in step because the pace was so slow, agonisingly slow. And for all who found themselves caught up by it, it was no longer a typical day. In fact, this day, this day was a special day a day that stands so unique in history that there has been none other like it. It was the day that Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, was crucified, dead and buried. You see, the trial of Jesus were over. The sentence passed. Pilate had seen the falseness of the charges and three times had declared Jesus innocent. But the crowd... The crowd, many of them who had hailed Jesus as the King of Israel, now incited by Jewish authorities, had screamed for Jesus' blood, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate had taken the politician's way out, afraid that things would get out of hand and finish his political career. He released Barabbas, and condemn Jesus. Friends, here is the ugly perversity of life lived without faith in God. It's okay to release a murderer who slew the living to kill the one who raised the dead to life. Over the years, we've actually glamorized the cross, made it an ornament to wear around the neck, on our ears, in a lapel, a piece of silver in church. Friends, we need to realise the event was ugly, it was awful, it was cruel and it was disgraceful. The procession slowly making its way to Golgotha. It was a very different procession than that of Palm Sunday for here every step encountered physical pain. Worse still, the awful pain and the hurt of rejection and mockery and alienation 
At the front, soldiers pushed their way violently through the crowd. Behind them rode a centurion, his face full of contempt for the jeering, shouting mass of people. Following them, between two lines of soldiers, staggered three condemned men, each struggling to carry the heavy crossbeam on which they would be nailed. The first of the victims was at the point of collapse. He'd eaten little, slept little, under the pressure of the past few days. And during the past few hours, he had been mocked, bullied, beaten, scourged with a leather whip with rough pieces of lead tied to each thong that literally tore the flesh from your back. That in itself was often the cause of death to those who had endured its flesh-rendering violence. A crown of thorns had been violently pushed onto his skull. Women began weeping and wailing when Jesus sank to the ground. The soldiers cursed. Jesus felt the weight then being taken from his bruised, torn, bleeding shoulders. For an innocent bystander had been drafted to carry his crossbar. And so the procession staggered on. A large crowd following its size being swelled every moment as others were caught up by the mob spirit, by morbid curiosity, by pity. Some sympathetic to Jesus' cause, the lame he'd healed, the blind who could now see, the deaf who could now hear, the lepers who could now be part of such a crowd, all bewildered by the turn of events. And finally, they came to the place of execution, Golgotha, a hill with the shape of a skull in its cliff face. We've been there. I've seen it. And it is just like that. A cliff face. And you can see the face of the skull in it. There at the foot of that hill, at a major intersection, the crucifixion took place. And only as the nails were being driven in did the shouting stop. At that moment, even the hardest of them were silenced. The thud of hammers on nails echoing from city walls. Jesus' mother was there, stopped her ears and closed her eyes. She could not bear to hear that awful sound of hammer on nail. Peter stood at a distance, blinded by the hot tears filling his eyes, his heart breaking as the cross was put into place. It was then that the Jewish leaders began hurling Jesus' own words back at him. He saved others, let him now save himself. Perform a miracle now, miracle man. Come down from the cross and we'll believe you're the Christ. The Roman soldiers joined in, contemptuously shouting, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. The crowd began to have its say. They shouted until they were hoarse and still they went on. And even one of the hardened criminals shared in the agony of crucifixion found enough strength to rail at Jesus as he called him to save himself and them, insulting him when he did not do what he wanted. Such was the din of their mockery. Only a few standing near to the cross actually heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. In the midst of that ugliness, one man, a criminal, looked at Jesus with trust. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I think it's amazing. He saw Jesus as the king, even on the cross. 
and he was acquitted before the divine tribunal of heaven in the darkest hour of his life. One man received what Jesus had just prayed for everyone. Forgiveness. His humble, agonized cry had brought the most wonderful promise from Jesus' lips. I tell you the truth today. You will be with me in paradise. There and then he received life eternal in the presence of God. But still the agony went on. The sun rose higher, its heat beating down, burning the lids of eyes, the top of the head feeling like it's on fire, the pain of the nails, of the thirst, of muscles pulled taut, making every breath excruciatingly agony. The nightmare going on and on as time oozed out like the blood that was dripping from the wounds of the nails, pinning them to their crosses. The physical pain was excruciating. But for Jesus, the greatest pain by far was the pain of separation from God his Father as he carried your sin, my sin, on his shoulders. Friends, think about that. The incomparable loneliness of total alienation closed in on him to the point that from his parts lips came the cry, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Literally, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The crowd grew silent and darkness descended across the land. Suddenly, Jesus gave a loud cry. It is finished! The Gospels actually record seven statements of Jesus while he hung on the cross. This must have been the last, if not the second last. With his life ebbing away, every breath agony. These words have to be important. What did this cry of Jesus mean? I'll tell you what it didn't mean. It wasn't the last gasp of defeat. It wasn't the moan of a lost cause. Quite the opposite. It was a shout of joy, of accomplishment. It's the loud cry Matthew, Mark and Luke refer to. The Greek word is telestai. It's used in the place of like an artist who, who would when after hours of toil and effort put down his brush having completed his work of art it's the work of, word of the priest in the temple of Jerusalem who's carefully examined an animal to be sacrificed found it to be perfect without blemish and has completed the sacrifice to last die a strange word on the lips of a man dying in agony what was Jesus really saying there on the cross it seemed to the world as if Jesus was broken and defeated. But he knew this was his moment of victory. His cry of triumph meant, I have broken through suffering once and for all. Look, friends, on the cross now and know this, the Son of God did not receive any red carpet treatment in this world. He knows the real meaning of suffering. He knows the way through. As the writer of Hebrews says, in his life on earth, Jesus made his prayers and requests with loud cries and tears to God who could save him from death. But even though he was God's son, he learned through his sufferings to be obedient. And when he was made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. These words bring us to the heart of the gospel. The whole point of the birth, the life, 
the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. His cry, it is finished, was saying, my mission is fulfilled, it's accomplished. I came to reconcile men, women with God and it's done. My food was to do the will of the Father who sent me. I've eaten to the full. Friends, it's amazing. What a life. Jesus lived in total obedience to the will of God, tempted in every way that we are and more. He experienced every blast of Satan that could bring against him and he did not sin. I want you to try and grasp it, the magnitude of this. Satan crying out to God, it's my world. There's never been a perfect human being who's lived a perfect life. And God deals with it this way, through the flawless life of his son. You see, it's done. I've got there. It's too late for temptations. It's finished. I've won. Friends, that cry on the lips of Jesus declares the Redeemer has come and he has broken the power of evil forever. God has done it. It may look that Satan has won, but Jesus is the one who won the victory. He went to the cross purposely, knowing that it was the will of the Father because it was the only way that your sin and my sin could be dealt with. Jesus, the Christ, the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice has taken away the sin of the world. That means, friends, that in Jesus there's a store of forgiveness and righteousness that is infinite, which we can draw on again and again and again. No person who's come to Jesus in honesty of spirit, asked for forgiveness and righteousness, has ever been denied, will ever be denied. Whoever trusts in Jesus, receives him into her, him or her life, has eternal life. It's done. It's finished. It's settled. We are redeemed. God has done it. And through the life and death of his son Jesus, it's complete our salvation. And having done all that needed to be done, Jesus could then say to the Father, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And with that cry, those words, the life of Jesus of Nazareth on planet earth came to its end. The crowd had watched and taunted, but now they had that sick, kind of feeling that begins deep in the stomach. That sort of feeling that comes when you know you've been a part of something you should not have been a part of. It was no longer a typical day. It to them seemed to be a shameful, awful day. But it was the most special day in all of history. The day that sin and death were dealt with once and for all. For the miracle that took place that can never be repeated, never, ever be repeated, okay, is this, that on that cross outside of Jerusalem, Jesus took your place, my place, and died for you, that you may have new life in God's kingdom, life that's eternal in his presence. Forgiveness, total, absolute can be yours through your faith in Jesus Christ because Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners for God was pleased to have all his fullness 
dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Friends, the cross is God's provision for you. The power of the blood shed on the cross is greater than any wrongdoing you may be guilty of. It's greater than any wrongdoing of any kind. Jesus suffered all that he did because he loves you so much he couldn't avoid the dark valleys and the abyss of loneliness and alienation and rejection and hate that sin brings into our lives. When Jesus cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The eternal heart of God experienced the forsakenness and the despair we all experience in our separation from God. In this way, God paid in full the price needed to redeem us from all that sin would impale us on. It's staggering, friends, to think that a holy God, a pure God, a truly righteous God should love sinners like you and I. Love them to the point of becoming one with them. But it's true. The New Testament writers constantly point to the cross of Christ as being the crowning proof of the reality and the boundlessness of God's love for us. Make no mistake, friends. The baby born at Bethlehem in a smelly old stable was God become man. The Word become flesh. As Charles Wesley put it, our God contracted for a span, incomprehensively made man. And he did it for this one purpose, to die on the cross, paying the full price of our redemption from all that sin brings. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I want you now to look upon Jesus. I want you to see him hanging on the cross in agony for you personally. He who was without sin, bearing your sin, your separation from God. And he did it because he loves you. Let me tell you this. I'd love to eyeball each one of you right now. If you were the only person who responded with faith in Jesus of Nazareth as your Lord and Saviour, he would still have hung on that cross just for you. That's his love. That's his love. It's wonderful, good news. But we can't even finish there. We tend to make the cross the centre of our faith. But friends, the cross is not enough. It would have no value if Jesus had remained in the grave of his death. Some people, when they die, of course, as you know, get state funerals because of the way they've lived. Jesus, the Son of God, didn't get any of that, okay? He just got a funeral out of sight by a few people. And when that stone sealed the tomb, friends, let me tell you to everyone, it seemed like it was finished and everything he'd said was futile. Then Sunday came. Out of the ugliness of Good Friday came the awesome wonder of Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God, the Father's yes to all that the Son was on about because the resurrection of Jesus is the linchpin of Christian faith. 
It declares that life eternal comes to those who trust God to save them no matter how traumatic their life may be because salvation is found in no one else for there's no other name under heaven given us by which we may be saved. Only Jesus has the power and the authority to save us from the power of sin, from Satan's demonic clutches. And we can only know God's yes to Jesus through faith in him as God's Son, the Messiah, our Saviour and Lord. Faith that recognises our need to be saved. This Good Friday morning, look anew at Jesus with faith. He is your Saviour. He is your Saviour. And He has saved you completely, completely. The crucified one has risen. He's risen. He's alive. And He's alive forevermore. Lord of lords and King of kings. He died to redeem your life for His service. Friends, He is the Lord. He is God's answer to your deepest needs. God loves us, sent His Son to die for our sins. Now, friends, get this. If His love and His sufferings mean anything to us, we'll agree with Isaac Watts with those words, His love demands my life, my soul, my all. God appeals to you now if you've never done it before. Even if you've done it before, give your life and your dying into His hand for He has paid the price for you to have eternal life in His presence. Amen. Let's pray. I'm going to just be quiet and let you make your personal prayer for a moment. Our Father in Heaven, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour, our Redeemer, we give you glory, honour and praise. We struggle to grasp the significance of your love for us expressed truly in you becoming one with us. But this morning, Father, we just again acknowledge our need for each of us in different ways, in attitudes, in values, are selfish, self-focused, far from that which you call us to be. And we thank you that you have paid in full the price of our sinfulness, our falling short of the mark of being in your image. And we thank you, Father, that not only have you forgiven us for that, you have given us life eternal in your Son, Jesus Christ. And we praise you for the gift of the life that we have in your Son. And we praise you, Jesus, for that which you've done for us on the cross and in the resurrection. And we rejoice that you are our Lord, risen from the tomb, Lord of lords and King of kings forever. And we thank you, Father. We give ourselves over to you again and we pray, take us closer to you. Pour your Spirit out on us. Refresh and renew us that as we go from this time of reflecting on the wonderful sacrifice of your Son on the cross, that we would go forth totally, utterly consumed by your love for us and in us. All to the glory of your name. In Jesus Christ. Amen.